As we come now to God's word, today's preaching passage is from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Habakkuk is at the end of the Old Testament, just five books back from the end of it, and Pastor Josh is starting a new preaching series in the book of Habakkuk today. And so our scripture reading uh, this morning of the preaching passage is from Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress." For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is God's word. Amen. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That word oracle right at the start of uh, this book and this passage that we're looking at over the next Uh, two, three weeks. And that word oracle actually has as a uh, literal underpinning to it the meaning of burden. It was the word that uh, the Old Testament used about God's prophets when they had a a weighty message to give. It was a a spiritual burden. Uh, We use that language still sometimes today in church circles. Someone has a a burden for the loss, or someone has a a burden for missions, or a burden for the church, or a burden for the disadvantaged and the poor. Well, God gave the prophet Habakkuk a burden. And uh, this was in God's sovereign power by his spirit, breathed out into the mind of Habakkuk in a vision. We're told it's an oracle, a burden, that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. Again, very often in the Old Testament, the prophets describe their experience of being inspired by God to breathe out the very words of God as something they saw somehow mysteriously in a way that we do not fully understand and no doubt Habakkuk himself did not fully understand. God by his spirit showed in the mind of Habakkuk this burden, this this vision. Habakkuk was uh, probably ministering uh, during the time when the Assyrian Empire had taken over the northern kingdom of of Israel 
and before the Babylonian Empire um, conquered the Assyrian Empire and then took over the southern kingdom of Judah. And in that time, Habakkuk, the godly man, the prophet of God, had a burden that he saw. And in particular, Habakkuk had questions. In fact, the book of Habakkuk is structured around two questions that Habakkuk had and then two answers that, that God gave and then a final prayer that turns uh, to praise. And uniquely, Habakkuk, as a prophet in this book, is not actually addressing words uh, directly to an audience. That's an unusual thing for a preacher or a prophet to do. Normally when you're preaching, you're preaching to people and you use words like you, uh, you guys, uh, it's time for us. Uh, You're speaking to an audience, to a congregation, to people who are listening. But in this book, every word that Habakkuk is inspired to write and speak is addressed to God. In some Bibles, the headings of his questions are called complaints. It's a rather technical use of the word complaint. He's not complaining and mumbling, groaning, grumbling. Complaining to other people, well, that's sin. But this question, this complaint, if you like, to God, is the necessary birth pains for renewed faith. Well, he has a question, and the first question we're looking at uh, this morning begins in verse 2. He says, O Lord, he starts, that word Lord is the covenant name for God, Yahweh. He starts by calling out to God as his God, as the God of the people, of God's people, Lord, Yahweh. In a very similar way in the New Testament, Jesus instructs his disciples to call on God as their father, Father God. It reminds us and calls out to God about the truth that we are his children because of our faith in Christ, that we have a covenant relationship with God. Lord, you've promised various things to your people. Father, I am your child. You love me. Oh, Lord. And then he says, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Now that phrase, how long, is used in the Bible when, when God's people have reached the end of their tether and they're not sure how much more they can take. In, in the book of Revelation, the, uh, the martyrs cry out to God, how long, oh, Lord? How long will this last? When will you avenge our death? And similarly, in the Old Testament here, Habakkuk says, how long? Now note, Christian, it is a common experience, even for godly Christians, even for a prophet like Habakkuk, to feel like God's answers are a very long time in coming. How long, O Lord? He's crying out for help and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. How long? And in particular, he cries out violence. And God does not save. It was a violent age, I'm afraid. 
Uh, those Assyrians were famous for their brutality, for their viciousness, for their violence. We live in a violent age. There is violence on our TV screens, on our live streaming movies. There's violence all around us as people treat each other with disdain and disgust. There's, it's a violent age. There's, there's violence in our words as people commit verbal murder almost every day on Twitter and social media, destroying people's reputations. Habakkuk's seeing all this. How long will I cry violence and God you will not save? And then verse 3, he says, why do you make me see iniquity? In other words, this is the anguish of the spiritually insightful. This is the pain of the, of, of the, of the spiritual visionary. Habakkuk sees what's going on. Other people don't. Uh, they're like frog in the, a frog in the proverbial water as it gradually heats up and boils. They don't notice the changing temperature. Habakkuk does. He sees it. Why do you make me see it, Lord, if you're not going to do anything about it? Why do you give me this burden if you're not going to intervene? And as he thinks about what he sees with his spiritual insight, he reminds himself that God, who is omnipresent, omniscient, knows and sees everything, that God looks too. And it seems as if God is merely idly looking at wrong. He's not doing anything about it. Is he just lazy? What are you up to, God? Are you too busy doing something else on some other planet? Are you just idly looking at wrong? Destruction and violence. Violence is a key thing here. Before me, strife and contention arise. The, the language of our political discourse, our cultural wars, constant contention it was going on in Habakkuk's time but what is more it's not just outside the church it was in the church too among God's people too and so verse 4 he says the law is paralyzed now that word law translates uh, the Old Testament word Torah and Torah is the word that the Old Testament uses for what we Christians today would call Bible teaching. The Torah is the teaching of Moses in the first five books of the Bible. And the prophets were called to interpret and remind and proclaim the Torah, the teaching of the Bible. But the teaching of the Bible coming out from God's people. Well, that's paralyzed, Habakkuk says. That word uh, paralyzed has a sense of uh, numb. There's no life to it. In, in British English, anyway, if you're playing a sport and uh, perhaps uh, rugby or soccer or football uh, here in America, and someone tackles you hard and they, they hit your, your upper thigh, your leg, and 
they squeeze the muscle against the bone, you can get hit in a certain kind of way that it creates this, this numbness. In British English, it's called a, a dead leg. It's the feeling you get right before you get a, a, what Americans call a, a Charlie horse, where that pain, where the, the blood returns to the muscle. Before that, it's all numb. There's no feeling. And what Habakkuk is saying is the very, the very teaching of the Bible is paralyzed. It's numb. It's like a dead leg. It's an extraordinary thing to say. Surely God's word will not return empty. It will accomplish what God has designed it to do. Well, for sure. But as Jesus taught, the seed of God's word does not always fall on good soil. Sometimes it falls on soil where there are thorns. Sometimes it falls on soil where there's stony ground. Sometimes the devil comes in and snatches away the seed. As Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7, human understandings, human tradition can make void the word of God, can empty God's word of its power. There's the word of God, and then there's listening ears, soft hearts, open minds. And what Habakkuk is saying is that God's people aren't paying any attention to the Bible. They're ignoring it. There's Bible teaching going on. He himself is a Bible teacher. He's a prophet. But it's paralyzed. It's falling on hard soil. It's making no difference. And because of this, he says, justice never goes forth. Now that word justice is is a big word for us today. And yet we've got to think through what the Bible means by justice. If you look up the definition of justice in a, in a British dictionary, you'll find that it describes justice as um, equality, fairness. In the British culture, there's a strong inclination towards fair play. And many British dictionaries define justice in that kind of way. Fairness. If you look it up in an American dictionary, justice is often defined as what is right according to the law. How does, how does the Bible define justice? Well, this word justice in the Old Testament is also used of judgment. And justice in the Old Testament is defined by what God says is right. As Moses uh, taught in Deuteronomy chapter 1 when he was setting up judges to help him with the great um, responsibility of taking care of so many different people, he reminded them, he said, justice is God's. That's what justice is. It's defined by what God says is right and wrong. Well, of course, if, if the Bible teaching... If the teaching about God is paralyzed, then what is right and wrong, the justice will not go forth. It will not have any impact. And of course, we're, we're seeing that today. Through turning a deaf ear to Bible teaching, justice, that's not going out. There are injustices all over the place in our society today. 
But not only does it never go forth, he says, for the wicked surround the righteous. Now, he's not... Habakkuk's not like uh, the prophet Elijah who uh, said to God, I'm the only one left. There aren't any other righteous people around. Habakkuk knew there were other righteous people around. But the wicked surround the righteous. He sees the righteous as outnumbered by the wicked. They're surrounded. And therefore, even when the Bible does go forth, even when Torah is preached and believed, even when the gospel is proclaimed and accepted, even then, when justice goes forth, so justice goes forth perverted. It doesn't get very far before the common understandings of what is right and wrong twisted. Wrong is right, right is wrong. It's all turned on its head, upside down, inside out. It's perverted. (laughs) What a timely word is the book of Habakkuk. It's almost like he's writing about contemporary society as well as the contemporary church. And so this is Habakkuk's question. What is God's answer? God's answer begins in, in verse 5. And basically what God says as he uh, responds to Habakkuk in uh, verses 5 through to 11 is that he's going to do something so extraordinary, so amazing that you wouldn't believe it when it happened. And uh, he says, so I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This is going to blow your minds. What, what is he going to do? Uh, verse 6, for behold, I am raising up, raising up the Chaldeans. Now the Chaldeans is, um, we use the word more commonly, Babylonians. And what God did is he uh, raised up this uh, tribe of Babylonians within the Assyrian Empire, restored them gradually to military and cultural power, financial power. Then they took over the Assyrian Empire. It became the Babylonian Empire. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. God is God of the nations. He's God of the whole world, the whole universe. He's God of every single nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. It is God who raises one nation up and casts another nation down. He's going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. This is an amazing thing that God is going to do for God says they are that bitter and hasty nation. They're they're fast and quick. They don't stand around thinking about things all the time. They're always on the move and they're, they're bitter. There's not much that's sweet about them. They march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They're imperial. They're going to conquer other countries, take over other lands, take over other people's homes. That's who they are, and God is raising them up. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. Uh, they are, verse 7, dreaded and fearsome. They have justice of a sort. Their justice and dignity go forth. Yes, they have justice. It, it does go forth, but it's all about their own dignity. What makes them look good 
and it goes forth from themselves. They define what is right and wrong, not God. And yet God is raising them up. I'm going to use that justice for his own true justice. Their horses are swifter than leopards. In other words, they're so good at riding horses and their cavalry and their army with horses. It's like they're they're so fast, they're like leopards sprinting. And they're more fierce, uh, verse 8, than the evening wolves. Have you ever seen one of those uh, nature documentaries about wolves? And you see the pack of wolves and how, how wild they are. That's what the Babylonians are like. They're like evening wolves howling for their prey. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They're they're fast. They're hasty. They all come for violence. They are a violent nation. And yet God is raising them up. All their faces forward. In other words, they're not hesitating. They're not looking back going, oh, did we take the right path? No, they're on, on, forward, forward. They gather captives like sand. They're going to follow the Assyrian uh, tactic, which was to take people from one country that they had conquered and move those people to another country as a way of ruling so that no one nation could grow up and rebel. They, They were going to take captives like sand, pick them up in their hand, put them somewhere else, pick this bit of sand up, put it somewhere else. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. No other king or ruler is is frightening to them. They just laugh at them. It's ridiculous. No one can defeat us. They just laugh at opposition. They laugh at every fortress, every castle and military barricade, every fortress. They laugh at it. Why? For they pile up earth and take it. So their military tactic was to use earth ramps. They were particularly good at building earth ramps up to a wall. And then you, you'd, they would drive their siege engine up to the top of the earth ramp and, and then use military equipment to bash down the wall at the top where it was narrower than at the base and therefore weaker. They were brilliant at this. And so any fortress didn't scare them. They, they, verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. They're moving on and on. God is raising them up. Who is he raising up? <laughs> Something you would not believe, even as you are told. Guilty men. That's who he's raising up. Whose own might is their God. <laughs> not, they're not Christians. They're not godly people. What they worship is military power. And God is raising them up to use them as a tool to bring about justice. You know, God's justice is real. He is working out his justice now and then perfectly forever. I I remember one um, family I got to know some years ago. Uh, The husband, the father, was a very successful 
financial uh, trader, investor in finances of some kind uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. He, he made a, a bunch of money. And they lived in some very ritzy um, suburb. They, they didn't just have two garages or three-car garage or four-car garage. They had a seven-car garage in this multi-million dollar neighborhood. They were the biggest house in the most exclusive place to live. He'd made a bunch of money. And they had children. The family lived there. Eventually, he got a bit older and took retirement. Moved down to Florida, of course. Intending to enjoy his retirement. And then he became sick. And his wife, uh, I think they'd never really been close. Money had brought them together and kept them together. His wife had to nurse him in their home. Not the retirement they'd expected. One day, one of their children, who was not so financially gifted, perhaps, or astute, or lucky or blessed or whatever you want to describe it, but didn't have so much money, went to them asking for a, a little bit of money to tide her over for a, a month or two. He went down to see them. There's the, the father, uh, infirm, unable to move around, bunch of money, stuck at home in Florida, with his wife nursing him, other people coming in, of course, to help, but his wife now responsible, stuck at home. And she asked mum for a little bit of money. And the mother said, it's my money. They say sin is its own reward. One way or another, it will kill you. You know, I've heard people sometimes say, as someone who was a, a notorious evil person, they got away with it because they died before they went to the courts. Jeffrey Epstein, by all accounts, one of the most evil people of our age, died in prison in mysterious circumstances. And as I was reading about that, I came across people saying he got away with it. He never faced justice. Don't you believe a word of that? The moment he died and left that prison cell, he stood before the holy God and he faced justice. Oh, God's justice is real. But there is another way, if, if. There's another person I know. He grew up in a good family. There were some rumors about his parentage early on, but they're all nonsense. As he grew up, he began to have a hunger for the Torah, for the Bible. 
asked the most amazing questions of all the teachers. And then he began to preach. So anointed was he that they said that they never heard teaching like this with such authority. Opposition grew up against him. Jealousy, anger, sin, hypocrisy, all sorts of reasons. The opposition grew and grew. Until one day, God, who had raised up another evil empire, used the Romans to crucify the Son of God. That there would be justice. And raised him again from the dead three days later. So that if, if you turn to him this morning and repent and believe, you might receive not justice, but mercy and forgiveness and amazing love oh Lord God I pray that would be true for each of us who are listening this morning would you move us to put our trust in your justice that is finally found at the cross and Lord we do have many questions about the things we see around us in societies even sometimes in, among your people, among your church, we, we wonder what it is you're doing. How long, O oh Lord? And not all our questions are answered, Lord. But this we know. Your justice is real. And because of Jesus, that justice was paid for that we might receive mercy. And so we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.